Welcome to Tarot for the End of Times, a podcast where we utilize the tarot as a tool to navigate through epochs of deep change. My name is Sarah Cargill. I'm an artist, cultural worker, and your host throughout the duration of this series. In each episode, I'll take a look at the archetypal figures presented in the major arcana cards from the Rider-Waite-Smith tarot deck to discuss what each card has to say about navigating through cycles of change, chaos, and instability. Throughout each episode, I'll offer reflection questions and suggestions for exercises that might support you in inviting the energy and wisdom of these archetypes into your daily life and practice. If you'd like to support this podcast and the person who makes it, you can make a monthly donation through my page on anchor.fm. Your generous act of community care and reciprocity helps me to access the resources I need to make projects like this possible and sustainable. You can also support this work by sharing this podcast with your friends and loved ones, and most importantly, by tuning in. Thanks for joining me. Hello, dear listeners. Thanks for tuning in and welcome back. If you're new to this podcast, well, hello and welcome. So glad you made it, and I'm stoked to be back in this virtual etheric space with you all. Before I usher us into a chronicle of our next archetype, the Hierophant, I'd like to offer a few quick updates. First, I want to extend my appreciation to those who have exercised patience and compassion during my brief and somewhat unexpected and unannounced hiatus. Eclipse season flung open some heavy doors, turned the soil, and set fire to everything that's been ignored long enough to collect dust. This season was an extended road opening ritual, and while I'm certain that I'm all the better for it, the pressure and compression that I experienced while making my way through this rebirth canal definitely facilitated and accelerated some major rearrangement and uprooting in my own life. I'm also recognizing the many ways in which this podcast has necessitated my own real-time spiritual development and to confront the lessons of each major arcana archetype in my personal and professional life. I want you all to know that while I've been on a journey of self-study with the tarot for a number of years now, This particular project has been taking me through an accelerated course that's not only moving faster, but deeper. This little hiatus has offered some much needed spiritual rest, and I appreciate y'all for the ways in which you have honored my need for spaciousness and delivering your words of encouragement, heartfelt feedback, and your concrete monetary support. I receive it, I receive it, I receive it. Thank you. Speaking of words of encouragement, there was a lovely listener who sent me a voice message through my Anchor page a few weeks ago, and unfortunately, I've been experiencing a number of technical difficulties on the Anchor platform, mainly on the video transcription and, as I'm now finding out, the voice message feature, and was not able to make out your message. I didn't 
quite catch what you were saying, but I was able to hold on to the feeling tone of your message and really appreciate the gesture. So if you're listening, and if any of y'all would like to get in touch with me, feel free to send me a not creepy message on Instagram. You can find me at sheisnotavirgo. As I reflect on my own complicated relationship to rest and the various forms of unlearning that take place as I'm being called to embody a spiritual and political ethic that centers rest, I recall a conversation that I had with one of my good friends a couple of weeks ago about this very thing. Towards the end of our conversation, we both arrived at the conclusion that for many Black folks, particularly Black women and femmes, and I'm really just, you know, speaking to my own experience, running on fumes and adrenaline and continuing to ignore our need for rest in order to push through and get shit done on the behalf of the collective is, in my opinion, an inherited trauma response. And the thing is, I have to be deeply compassionate with myself and my ancestors because this survival strategy has served us in many ways. I also recognize that my ability to access rest in particular ways is in part a reflection of some of the privileges that I embody. And, 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 I've been learning that within the context of our relationship to rest, of the themes that are raised through the archetype of the Hierophant, it's critical to examine our relationship to rest and to learn how to differentiate between what's urgent for the institution and what's urgent for me and my people. Rest supports us in cultivating boundaries that have been violated for centuries, including through the machinations of the institution. And so, when we choose to prioritize rest and allow our boundaries and needs to set the pace of our work, we also cultivate our capacity to address our ancestral wounds. All this to say, I'm calibrating a new pace for myself that's honest and reflective of my personal journey in reclaiming rest. Now, I was originally planning to upload this episode on Juneteenth, but I decided to celebrate the holiday by ordering some barbecue ribs and black eyed peas and uh, taking a nap. (laughs) For those who aren't familiar with the holiday, Juneteenth, also known as Freedom Day or Emancipation Day, marks the day that soldiers from the Union landed in Galveston, Texas to deliver news that the Civil War had ended and that all those who have been enslaved are now free. This news came two and a half years after the Emancipation Proclamation was issued as an executive order by then-President Lincoln. Freedom of course, came with many conditions and stipulations that we continue to fight to change in the present moment. But it does, nevertheless, mark a huge structural uh, and to a certain extent, you know, not trying to give too much credit here, but to a certain extent, this holiday marks a spiritual turning point in U.S. history. 
At the same time, I acknowledge that Juneteenth is yet to be counted as a national holiday, illuminating the ways in which the United States is yet to fully reckon with its past and this country's contentious struggle to fully acknowledge, protect, and uplift Black power and agency. One of the ways that folks celebrate this holiday is by uplifting the stories and wisdom of our ancestors, elders, mentors, and teachers. It's a common practice to create a welcoming space for our elders to share their stories and hard-earned wisdom with younger generations, ensuring that this wisdom circulates within the veins of the collective. It's a time for community gatherings, sacred storytelling, and collective prayer. Now, in that same week, the week of Juneteenth, we also experienced a historic moment where the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that the language of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 includes federal protection for LGBTQIA workers from workplace discrimination. It's important to note that this hard-earned victory would not have been possible without the legacy of Black, trans, non-binary, and femme leaders within the community fighting for our collective liberation. However, in the same breath, the Supreme Court has rejected cases that challenge qualified immunity, which is the deeply racist doctrine that shields law enforcement from being sued for decisions made while on the job. This series of events that run parallel to each other is a prime example of how institutional change often looks like simultaneously stepping on the gas and the brakes. And in so many ways, it will take collective pressure of incredible magnitude, much like the pressure generated from three major eclipses, to usher us through the portal of rebirth. It's within this framework that I'd like to introduce our next archetype, the Hierophant. Hierophant is austere, regimented, and formal. He's known to practice calligraphy in his spare time and with the sharp quill no less. And when he speaks, his words hang in the air, typewritten in Time's New Roman font. The Hierophant takes his coffee black and only accepts brew from his meticulously kept French press because Though he'd be hard-pressed to admit this, there is a sentimental streak that runs through him. He irons all three, yes three, of his robes each morning, blue to represent the depth of spiritual knowledge, white to symbolize his connection to his ancestral and spiritual lineage, and red, a color shared with the emperor, to symbolize his authority and institutional power. He dresses himself in silence at the same time each morning, layering and swathing and tucking each layer to swaddle himself in a cocoon of lineage and history. He is a meticulous record keeper and finds comfort in the long aisles of his archives where he stores a vast collection of books, 
records, and notes that describe when and how things came to be and why they are no longer. Smelling of old books and wiping ink-stained fingertips, the Hierophant emerges from his study to clock in for the day. As he approaches his throne, he discovers two devout apprentices kneeling with heads bowed at the base of his post as they await for his much-anticipated arrival. He slowly glides past them, offering a brief, gentle tap on each of their shoulders to greet and notify them of his presence. They both stand to deliver onto him his triple-crossed staff, an artifact representing the Hierophant's influence and position in spiritual governance, and his three-tiered crown, which represents the Hierophant's role in being the conduit between the spiritual consciousness, subconsciousness, and higher consciousness of the collective. He then takes his position on the throne and sits between the pillars of law and liberty. Ruled by Taurus, the Hierophant is a patient, reliable, and quietly generous mentor who is tasked with grounding spiritual wisdom within structures of the earthly realm. For the Hierophant, this earthly structure is the institution. When in the upright position, the Hierophant speaks to spiritual wisdom, religion, institutional knowledge, traditions, and sacred rituals that mark major life events. He represents embodied spirituality grounded in the structures that govern our communities. Unlike the Empress, the quality of his Taurian energy is mm, less damp, fertile soil and more like warm, weathered stone smoothed over by water and time. He isn't just interested in what you know, but what you do with that knowledge to exercise your agency and craft philosophies of your own. If he's stern with you, it's only because he believes in your ability to make more informed choices. If he's withholding, it's only to encourage you to make your way to the archives and find your own answers. If he challenges your beliefs, it's to remind you that if you search thoroughly enough, you'll find that most of your so-called original ideas have their own origin stories to tell, separate from the story of your ego. Known as the traditional counterpart to the High Priestess, the Hierophant is a faithful guardian of spiritual wisdom crystallized within the institution he manages. He is, as suggested by the two diagonally crossed keys that lay at his feet, a literal gatekeeper for the structural repositories that hold our collective narratives and histories. He is the keeper of primary sources and accounts, and much like the structures of the institution in and of itself, the Hierophant is a symbolic stand-in for the values, principles, and moral codes of the collective. When he's doing his best work, the Hierophant teaches you how to build your own belief system through deep study of the fundamentals, root deep to grow tall, he says. He also serves as an advisor to and reflection of those who hold public office. 
If you ever find him muttering to himself, just leave him to it. He's known to hold counsel with the ghosts of the past in search of clues they may have left behind. He understands that any institution that refuses to contend with their ghosts will surely contribute to its own demise. He is a well-respected teacher and mentor, working with his apprentices and students to cultivate a broad sense of group belonging through his role as the keeper of collective traditions. Within the larger narrative of the Major Arcana series, the Hierophant comes just after the Emperor, and I don't take this symbolic succession for granted. Much like the institutions that we encounter in our own lives, whether it be the institution of the museum, of schools, churches, hospitals, or the U.S. Supreme Court, the Hierophant's role as the guardian of the institution is to uphold, reify, house, and reinforce the ethos and political agenda of the emperor. Given this dynamic, it's worth examining how power is circulated between these two figures. The image of the Hierophant is modeled from the Roman Catholic Pope. At first glance, we may not think that the Hierophant holds as much power as the Emperor, but when we consider the historic role and influence of the papacy within the political sphere, we know that the power and influence of the religious institution runs deep. The institution embodies generational power and legacy in ways that go beyond what the emperor could ever hope to be. So while emperors and other people in positions of power and public office like to throw around the word change to garner trust of the people and to curate an image of supreme power, if you really want to get a gauge of how much change has occurred in your community and where power is held, examine the way your local institutions are run. I mentioned in the last episode that the emperor is represented by the number four, a number of stability, security, and strong foundations. The hierophant, however, is represented by the number five, a number that is often associated with change in the tarot and other metaphysical practices. The hierophant simultaneously embodies Taurian energy, which if any of you have had any personal encounters with these fixed earth signs, you know how notorious they are for digging their heels into the dirt when asked to move at anyone else's pace but their own. Bless them. Uh, speaking as the daughter of two Torian parents, change can be quite challenging for this beloved fixed earth sign. Anyone who has worked in any kind of institution knows that institutional change is extremely slow. And what's challenging is that it's not necessarily because of who's in charge, though that certainly plays a major role. But the institution is, by nature, designed to reinforce the hegemonic power structures through all its channels while simultaneously obscuring points of origination. 
it's incredibly challenging to pinpoint where exactly the fuckery started. And what's worse is that because large institutions are often divided and siloed into departments, folks within the institution are often clueless about the insidious ways that they're participating in this reinforcement. It's like walking through a house of mirrors. This tension that exists within the Hierophant between change and status quo can be explored through the meaning behind this card when it appears in reverse. When the Hierophant appears in reverse, it's a critical time to explore your relationship to and investment in dogmatic thinking. Depending on the context provided by the rest of the spread, the Hierophant in reverse could be interpreted as a call to challenge and uproot the status quo by demanding institutional accountability and forging one's own path. When I engage with the energy of the Hierophant, I think about how some of the best root workers and conjurers are steeped in inherited rituals and traditions. I think about the traditional African and indigenous practices that have supported oppressed peoples in moving mountains and creating change from seemingly impossible conditions. So for me, the karmic lesson of the Hierophant card is one that asks us to gather enough information to be able to discern connective and liberatory community traditions from harmful and narrow-minded dogma that upholds a toxic status quo. When I think about the energy of the Hierophant within the context of the many layers of change that we are currently experiencing, I can't help but wonder about what's to come. As we witness the active crumbling of institutions of all sorts, we also bear witness to each other as we reach into this vacuous, pressurized space to give birth to shapes we've never seen before. How will the Hierophant take shape on the other side of the portal? How do we measure and create space for shapes we have never seen? In what ways will the Hierophant take on a more fluid identity, a more decentralized, rhizomatic, and eye-level presence? When the Hierophant appears upright in a spread, you may be called to reflect on the traditions, ceremonies, and gatherings within your community that facilitate collective meaning-making and spiritual development. It may also be a time to consider your relationship to institutions that these traditions and ceremonies are rooted in and to make some deliberate choices about what, how, and who you'll invest in. When the Hierophant appears inverted, you may be invited to consider the ways in which your personal beliefs either reflect or challenge the status quo. Perhaps it's a little bit of both. This isn't mutually exclusive after all. So what comes up for you when you examine this ambivalence? We might surprise ourselves with the level of grayness and ambiguity that we manage to hold. If you want to invite the energy of the Hierophant into your life, I suggest doing research and documenting all that you find. Study, review your notes, 
Arm yourself with a deep and thorough understanding of timelines and fundamentals. Compare your notes with notes other people have gathered. Find the inconsistencies and maybe send a few screenshots and receipts to institutions whose purported values are misaligned with their actual practices. As you do this, I encourage you to maintain a firm anchor in the multidimensional needs and perspectives of your respective communities so that your actions are rooted in collective liberation and purpose, not the elevation of your ego or the intoxicating desire to implement punitive measures that reflect and uphold the carceral state. This will be incredibly challenging and will require many moments of pause and self-reflection. But I believe in myself, I believe in you, and I believe in our collective capacity to undo that which keeps us so tightly tethered to our systems of punishment. As we come to a close, I invite you to give yourself permission to celebrate the small wins against dogmatic power structures that keep us locked into toxic social, political, and community structures. In some way or another, we are all participating in a generational spell, and this level of undoing takes time. Celebration is a mode of collective expression that reinvigorates our sense that this is, perhaps, worth it after all. Thanks for listening.